Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. But beware, ye landlubbers, there be nasty scoundrels on the high seas, and they be seeking to seize your booty. No, not that booty. Your cryptos and your NFTs, yar, and you don't want to be losing your treasures to thieves and scallywags. Today, we be welcoming cybersecurity expert Joseph Steinberg to the show to make sure you scurvy dogs have your goods locked down and safe from prowlers and scavengers. Shiver me timbers and don't be sharing your private keys on episode number 591 of the Bad Crypto Podcast, yar. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Who's that? Um, did did you call all of our listeners hoes? Did you say yo hoes? Yo hoes. Yo hoes. Welcome to the shows. You sometimes call them bitches. I mean, that's not that's nice. True, that is true. But they are bitches. We love them. That's good. That's good that's, that's not nice. Bitcoin bitches. Call your audience name. What's up, bitches? Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad crypto podcast coming by our name, honestly, uh, because we're bad. You know, we're still learning a lot about this crypto world in fact we just conducted a interview for another episode with one of the early adopters of the algorand chain and learned a lot that's going to be coming up on a future episode uh, but today is all about cybersecurity and keeping your cryptos safe very important muy importante well it is very important not only so much so we had a great conversation with today's guest, but he, he's written a book about it. He knows what's up. I think he didn't he write the uh, the dummies guide, so you know it's all it's super dumbed down. Yeah, if that's the case. Cybersecurity for Dummies is uh, mm-hmm. is his book and uh, well worth a read and the show well worth a listen. But first, Sir Lord Travis Wright's going to tell you why he uses the Brave browser. Yes, you want to use the Brave wallet. It is built in to their browser. You don't need an extension. And it's very secure. It has not been hacked, right, from what I understand, which is always good. So you want to store, manage your NFTs and has multi-chain support. It's pretty much like MetaMask, except built in to Brave, plus more secure and more sexy. It's way more sexy. Um, It has uh, basically it uses a private window with Tor. If you want to use if you want to have even more advanced security and safety on that. And so check it out. You can go to brave.com forward slash bad crypto. And uh, that gives you some love and affection from Brave. I think we should change the URL to um, badco.in forward slash screw Chrome or screw Google or something like that. Scroogle. Scroogle. Yeah, there needs to be Scroogle. Scroogle. What did you bring? We're having a potluck for dinner. What did you bring? I brought me some Scroogle. <laughs> it's like strudel except scroogle yeah or kugel which is you know another thing as long as we got a nice jewish boy on the show today his name's joseph steinberg last show we had we had josh rosenthal that's a, the jews are all well our people are coming in they're moving into the crypto space and taking over bringing you all this information oh what are you gonna do just have some more matzo ball soup very nice. Very nice. I actually don't know if, if Joseph is Jewish or not. Um, Steinberg is a nice Jewish name, so it could be. 
So is so is Commissar. Your last yeah. name. <laughs> my name. Nobody knows my original last name. You know, people are like all the time, like, is is calm a stage name? Because because com. <laughs> no, it's it's my real name with two M's. It's just proof that God has a sense of humor that I would be, you know, in the Internet industry and that I was a speech com major. But, um, you know, we'll talk more about the uh, origination and genesis of the name after this discussion with Joseph Steinberg. Oi. One of the best read columnists in the cybersecurity field is joining us today to talk about all things cybersecurity. He's no dummy, but he wrote the book, Cybersecurity for Dummies for Wiley. And a lot of people that are seeking to get their certification as a cybersecurity expert um, study from his book in order to get their certification for their exams. His name is Joseph Steinberg, and we would like to welcome him and his finely trimmed beard to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Hello, Joseph. Hi, Joel. Thanks for having me. You can thank Travis, too. Okay. Thank you, Travis, too. Yeah. Don't thank me. You don't need to I'm thank just me. Joking. Just don't thank thank I'm just joking. I'm just joking around with don't, you guys. Don't thank him. He didn't appreciate your beard as much as I did. Um, so your uh, first thing I want to talk about is you're uh, you're in New York City right now, and uh, we were talking offline beforehand. But I kind of want you to share a little bit, you know, for those who aren't there in the once great Big Apple, uh, what's it like now? It's still the Big Apple, and it's still great, but perhaps a little bit less great than it was a few years ago. Uh, New York is recovering from COVID. I think some of the restrictions are actually supposed to be lifted later this week, uh, or at least so we're told, but uh, you still need a mask and uh, a vaccine card to sit in any restaurant. Uh, Well, the mask to come in, the vaccine card to sit. Uh, That is supposed to change over the next few weeks, so we'll see what plays out with that. Uh, But you've had an increase in crime and uh, just dirt around the city in general. Uh, Hopefully, You know, new mayor has begun his term and hopefully things will get cleaned up a little bit. Uh, But there's definitely been a deterioration over the last few years. So is it like the medium apple now or why is it even an apple? What the hell does it have to do with apples? Did they used to have like an apple orchard there and and now it's not? You think it was going to be a fruit, they'd pick a big one like the the watermelon, right? Because it's it's huge. I never understood the big apple. It never made any sense to me. Maybe Wall Street liked it because they wanted Apple computer. I don't know. All right. That was my question. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay bad. That was it. Right. So so you you have uh, an extensive background in cybersecurity, so much so that you wrote a book on it. Maybe maybe give people the background of, you know, when did you start diving into cybersecurity and what are your credentials so they know? So I've really been in cybersecurity my whole life. As a child, it would be doing more amateurish things, playing around with things tinkering with computers to try to see how they work and how they could be uh, undermined. So the computer is quote unquote, so smart, but I can figure out a way to be smarter than the computer. I got involved in what is now known as the cybersecurity field about a quarter of a century ago, as the internet started to become commercialized, instead of being researchers at universities, you now started to have transactions and banking and all sorts of other things online. And that obviously change the need for security related to the internet. Uh, So I'm in the space since the mid 1990s, which might as well be the Jurassic era of information security. Things have changed so dramatically over that period of time. Uh, I go back long enough to have to remember having met the internet security person 
in a major bank. So there was a time where they had one person doing that job. Uh, hard to believe now with the billion dollar security budgets, but I go back then. Uh, I have written several books. So Cybersecurity for Dummies is intended for a general audience, a business audience. Uh, the reality is when it comes to cybersecurity, most of us are dummies. Uh, and I say that simply because it's not something we can learn in school. Whatever you learn about cybersecurity in school, by the time you leave school, will not be current because this stuff changes all the time. And nobody learned about cybersecurity from their parents 20 years ago or 40 years ago. So very few adults have learned this before. So we need to start educating ourselves as opposed to uh, the way we learn about other dangers. So that book is intended for a general audience. And uh, as Joel mentioned before, I've also written books intended for much more technical audiences, including a book that chief information security officers used to study for certification exams. That's obviously the exact opposite end of the spectrum. That's highly skilled, highly experienced security people uh, trying to hone their skills. So uh, there's a lot of levels in between, and I try to write my column to accommodate all of them. I think one of the biggest challenges of information security is there's a lot of information and a lot of it's confusing. And we need to make it simple for people to understand so that they can take appropriate actions. I would imagine that every day you must smack your head when you see how people handle or don't handle security, whether it's consumers, you know, especially in the crypto era of, you know, not of having simple password schemes or not understanding that their cryptos aren't necessarily safe if they're not using 2FA and even that might not be enough. Is it frustrating for you? Are you just constantly going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that? Uh, perhaps at the beginning, I was more shocked about how bad human stupidity can get. Uh, I still, to this day, refer to humans as the Achilles heel of cybersecurity. And I will point out that humans are increasingly the Achilles heel. Technology gets better and better over time. Think about security technology of today versus a decade ago or two decades ago. Think of your computer or your phone of today versus of a decade ago, but it's still human brain 1.0. It takes hundreds of thousands of years to evolve a significant change. So we make the same stupid mistakes now that we made 20 years ago and a thousand years ago. And in fact, most of the scams that people fall prey uh, two are not really any different than scams that existed in the pre-computer era. Impersonation, people lying, you know, asking people to do things under false pretenses. It's really not that much different, just a different channel of communication. Because social engineering is a human thing, right? Social engineering is not a technological thing. It's misleading people. Now we get social engineered on Twitter DMs and Telegram and Discord and wherever else people can approach you. But it used to be you'd get a phone call you know, pretending to be from the Social Security Administration or the IRS or, you know, the local bank or whatever. Right. I mean, I still get those Social Security scams probably. <laughs> Hello, every day. this is the Social yeah. Security Administration. Oh, my, oh my gosh. People right. We've reset your Social Security number, right? <laughs> um, it's been compromised. You need to send us gift cards in order to have it reset. Um, no, two, send us two the, Bitcoin. The reality is, the. I'm sorry? Two Bitcoin. That's the fee. Two Bitcoin. Oh, two Bitcoin. That's yeah, a lot. Two Bitcoin. That's a lot. Just so you know, I, I see there's been inflation. Well, uh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> not you, the other Joe, the other guy. Not, not I know. But whatever the case may be, the scams are now perpetrated online. The big change has been that the internet makes it possible for scammers from around the world to target large numbers of people all over the place. 
Whereas it used to be that scamming had to be more localized. If you have to pay international phone rates because you're thinking about, you know, the 1980s, you're not going to call from overseas to try to scam people in the U.S. But when you're talking about using the Internet and it's effectively free, uh, you know, why not? If you're a scammer, go after you know the richer countries. And so we're targeted from by scammers all over the place, uh, much more than we used to be. A lot of stuff going on. Now I want to talk about your expertise, maybe in the crypto space, because you know, for for people to be safe in the crypto era, well, you got to get you, you got to have your private keys. You don't share your private keys, and then some people you know are not very sophisticated. A lot of crypto has been lost over the years by different people, myself, <clears throat> myself not included. Um, but uh, so w- what are some of your tips and tricks on keeping people safe today? And what are some of the vulnerabilities people need to be paying attention to? So, again, the number one vulnerability is always going to be human stupidity. And that means that people need to really internalize that if they own crypto, NFTs, any asset that is electronically stored or you know in the case of uh cryptocurrency technically are you know you're not storing it you're storing the keys that are going to give you control of uh the currency you're a target i mean you got to internalize that you're really really a target there's something of value that somebody else wants and they know they can get it if they hack you so once you understand that and really internalize that that changes your approach to things you get an email with a link somebody calls you up and says, I need you to reset something, you're going to approach it very differently if you really, really internalize that you are a target, that someone is likely to target. So that's number one. The second thing, I mean, you mentioned it before. The problem isn't that there aren't good security technologies out there. It's that so many people just don't use them, even when they're free. Multi-factor authentication, I mean, there's really no excuse for not using that to protect your cryptocurrency. And multi-factor authentication means that in addition to a password, there needs to be some other form of authentication for you to go in and make a transaction on your account or to uh, you know, do a transfer if you're going in directly. And multi-factor may be running an app on your phone that's producing a new code every 60 seconds that you need to enter. It may be something texted to you with a unique value every time you attempt to do a transaction that's not quite as secure as the app, but it's still better than relying on the password. There are many different forms. We could argue about what's best. The bottom line is most people are using nothing. So if you're not using it now, turn on the multi-factor. Make sure you have security software on any device that you're accessing any crypto accounts from. You'd be amazed at how many people buy a computer. It comes with, let's say, a 30-day subscription to security software. And then when that subscription runs out, they never renew it. Well, if you're using a computer to access the internet and you're not running security software, I mean, you're asking for trouble. And if you're running old security software and new vulnerabilities are found, that security software may not fix them or address them. Uh, you're a sitting duck. So make sure you've got up-to-date security software. What, what, which one do you personally recommend? Not as a, you know, there's no paid endorsement here, but if there is, I'm sure you'll disclose that you're associated with somebody. I'm not uh, associated with any particular security software vendors for, let's say, phones or laptops or tablets. And there are many good products out there. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. Again, the reality is this isn't about which one is best. 
it's about people aren't using any of them mm-hmm. or they'll get it for 30 days and not get a subscription and they're accessing you know coinbase or what have you on a device that's had no security updates to let's say it's vi- anti you know antivirus definitions or etc in two years it's crazy uh you know these are small investments to protect your cryptocurrency uh, and again, that's these are the devices that you're accessing accounts from. In an ideal world, you've got offline storage for a lot of the crypto to begin with. So it's not even on a connected device. But the the accounts that you are going to access, you know, where, where you are going to go online, whether it be a Coinbase account or something else where you need the ability to actually perform transactions, should always be done with multi-factor and always from a device that's kept secure. And ideally, from a device that you're not doing anything risky from so you know don't read your email and click links on that device don't go surfing the web on that device obviously don't download pirated software or go to porn sites on that device don't do anything on that device that could get it infected because you're using it to perform financial transactions which which device do you like to go to porn sites on (laughs) well (laughs) the reality is that there is a term there is a term that they call, you know, the porn device, meaning the device that's going to be used only on sites where you may get hacked and you never do anything secure from that device. Uh, I don't know if that's the appropriate name for the device, but the reality is whatever you're using for sensitive stuff, don't use for things that could lead to infections. Don't rely on your security software. Always have it, but don't rely on it because nothing is perfect. That's the, that's the new device right there. They're going to call it the porn phone. That's all it does. Who are we talking to a couple of weeks ago, Joel, when they were said, he said at the end of the call, he was like, Oh man. And there's been a new vulnerability out. That's like infecting MetaMask and all this other stuff. Like, so like, what are some of those, what are some of the more vicious things that, I mean, human stupidity? Well, there's 95% of us there's listening. Um, including ourselves. Well, maybe not Joel, but uh, so what are, what are, I I am a bona fide idiot just to confirm you're organized. You're a really good organized idiot. Still an idiot though. That's okay. So what are some of the key vulnerabilities right now? Because there's, it's, it's, it seems like it's becoming the wild west is becoming a little more scary for some people. And what just, we should just make sure we always put our stuff over on the, uh, the, our hardware wallet, our ledger and whatnot. And, I mean, we got to be careful out there. I mean, offline storage is obviously, you know, cold storage, hardware wallets obviously offer a certain type of protection that you cannot get if you have the cryptocurrency accessible from an account, right? If you're on a, and I mentioned Coinbase before, it doesn't matter where, you know, what exchange it is. So the uh, keys are being held by the party that you're using essentially to host your account, right? These aren't bank accounts where you have dollars at them. This is a cryptocurrency account where it's the keys that are going to control the addresses where the the crypto is stored. Um, And so whether they're centralizing and tracking it or even tracking your own addresses, they're going to need access to those keys. So having it offline gives a certain advantage. At the same time, when you have it offline, you can't make a transaction instantly necessarily the way that you could if it were at an exchange, right? So there's pros and cons. Uh, But the reality, again, is if we think about vulnerabilities, we've all watched ransomware, for example, uh, over the year. We saw a meat shortage in the summer. When a meat plant got hit, we saw 
uh, fuel shortages in parts of the country when a pipeline operator got hit. Uh, there was a football team that recently got hit. There's lots of ransomware going out there. So just keep in mind, you know, if you have a computer and you're using it to access your crypto and you get hit with ransomware, uh, depending on, you know, your configurations, you could have a real problem. Um, I'm not saying that you will necessarily lose all your crypto, but you might, especially uh, if you think about it, it's ma uh, the malware that comes in isn't always just encrypting your data and uh, you know, demanding a ransom, it could actually gain access. In some cases, you have malware that goes into sessions and can take them over, which means if you logged in and you used multi-factor authentication, in some cases, the criminal can then perform transactions on your behalf. And uh, those would not be transactions you would like. So again, you want to protect your devices from infection. And there are always new vulnerabilities coming out. And that's why I say you got to keep stuff up to date. How important are VPNs? How much, you know, if we're using VPNs, how many types of attacks are we likely to avoid? Well, VP, you know, every sort of security technology has its benefits and it has its drawbacks. Uh, VPNs are no different. And VPNs fall into several flavors. The concept of VPN that most consumers are familiar with is probably the VPN services where you connect to the internet and you turn on the VPN and then all of your traffic is routed through servers wherever they may be in the US around the world that sort of disguises to others on the internet where the original source is coming from so uh, you know when you access a site the site doesn't necessarily see where you are they see it coming from this VPN provider that's more for privacy than for security uh, in many cases because of the uh, and people are doing it for that reason, because it disguises the origin. Uh, there are security benefits, too, because at least in theory, the VPN provider uh, should be doing certain things that would improve the security of the communication if you did access a site that is trying to attack you. But remember, in the end, even if you're going through a VPN, you're communicating with the destination. So if that destination is sending down you know, attempts to attack your device, you're going to still have a problem. Uh, it's unlikely that the VPN provider will be able to stop many types of attacks, and that's not even their goal. Uh, it's more the privacy side. That said, there is a place for it uh, if you are trying to uh, preserve your privacy uh, or if you want to use services that aren't necessarily available in your area. So I know that there are people who use streaming services or want to watch sports events that aren't available in a particular area, if they use a VPN and make themselves look like they're in a different area, they can sometimes access those services. Uh, whether that is appropriate to do or not is a separate discussion, but uh, that's one of the things that technology can do. So tell us, tell us about your book. I mean, it's, it's very simply named Cybersecurity for Dummies, right? And so I'm assuming that just takes you from the whole gamut of here we go from A to Z. Maybe talk about some of the, some of the topics that's in the book. And then maybe that'll spur some other questions for us to think about. Sure. So uh, first of all, one very interesting thing about the book Cybersecurity for Dummies is that we intended it for two different audiences. The first is people who want to learn about cybersecurity. The second are the people who are going out to buy it because they just had something go wrong and they're trying to figure out how to recover. It's just like home alarms are often bought by people who were just robbed. 
uh, cybersecurity educational materials are often bought by people who are just hacked. So there will be many people who may purchase the book for the purpose of reading the chapter on recovering from a breach or to understand how to restore from backups. Uh, so you don't have to read it straight through. You could start in one of those chapters. However, I like to say that an ounce of prevention is worth many tons of cure when it comes to cybersecurity. So I recommend reading it before you have a problem. Uh, the book covers all sorts of topics. It goes into topics about what kinds of attacks go out, who's launching these kinds of attacks and why. Uh, it talks about how social engineering attacks work and why, what and how people can, what you need to know and how you can prevent yourself from uh, falling prey to those. It talks about cybersecurity for entrepreneurs and small businesses. It talks about the differences between that and big businesses. It also, I actually dedicate a significant portion of the book to talking about identifying and recovering from breaches and how to back up and restore. Because backing up and is something that we all talk about and very few people actually do sufficiently. Very, very often I'm asked the question, how do I know if I'm backing up often enough? You know, I'm not sure. And the answer invariably is if you're asking, you're not backing up often enough uh, because people who back up often enough don't ask. Um, and so, you know, I teach in the book how to back up essentially everything that you have and how to restore it uh, in case you need to, so that if you do get hit by a hacker or something does go wrong, you can recover. And then I do have one section at the end for those who are interested about cybersecurity careers. Right now, cybersecurity jobs are readily available. There's a shortage of workers and they are well paying. So if you're looking at going to work in the tech field and you're interested in cyber, this is a very good time to join. Sound like a commercial right there. Are you looking for an exciting new career? Cybersecurity might be waiting for you. Uh, so one of the things that um, scares me about 2FA, and I use it for everything, I have an authenticator on my phone, is, is what happens if that phone bricks? You know, I've got all these different exchanges and wallets and things, and they're all on there. Um, is Am I screwed? Am I locked out of everything if my phone bricks? So everyone else is not screwed, but Joel is screwed. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so the reality is every security technology comes at a cost, right? Multi-factor authentication will make it less likely that somebody who's not authorized to access your account will do so and perform transactions that they're not supposed to do. The trade-off is if as you just said, you lose your phone, you're going to have to deal with the uh, inconvenience of getting back into these accounts and restoring the authentication capability to yourself because you can't just log in with a password. You need that one-time code from the authenticator app on the phone, which you no longer have access to. The providers of these apps all have capabilities to deal with these kinds of situations. So there are ways to go back in and reset up the app on another device. That said, it's a process. So you would not be locked out completely from your accounts if your phone you know, got zapped or run over by a truck or lost, but you may have to spend a few minutes restoring the Authenticator app to another device uh, and restoring the, the sessions. Okay, the, but how does- communication. How does that work? If the purpose of the authenticator is that it's the only way I can get access, couldn't anybody 
go in and say, oh, I lost my authenticator and I'm going to restore it somehow. So there are multiple ways to deal with that. Uh, in one, one of the simplest ways, for example, is that you're using the authenticator app for typical logins, and then you have what are called emergency codes. When you set up your access using the authenticator with many services, they'll tell you, hey, here are five backup codes you can use that will work at any time. Uh, write them down, don't store them on a device. And if you ever get locked out and you don't have the app, you can use these. If you use those to go in, uh, many of the systems that are using the authenticator app will then let you reset the authenticator app. What if you don't uh, have those? To... Then are you screwed? I'm just trying to find like where where is your security so foolproof on this that you've locked yourself out and there's no way back in? So again, that depends on the provider. In some cases, the providers have backup mechanisms for you to reestablish uh, the authenticator capabilities. So for example, um, if you have the authenticator app from Google. So your Google account can be on multiple devices. Uh, so the fact that you have lost one of the devices or one of the devices died is not necessarily a locking out completely. Um, of course, the pros and the cons, right? If you have something where you can only go in from one device, that's more secure because you always have that one device with you. But the trade-off is, as you said, if that device gets destroyed, you're out of luck. Um, so the point is there are different ways of backing up, whether it's the emergency backup codes or the fact that you could be using other devices on the account um, or going through a rigorous manual process to authenticate yourself. There are ways to do it, but it, it's better not to let it happen. Let's, let's leave it that way because it is a process. What else would you like us to cover right now, uh, Joseph? Is there any other areas that you think is important that we've not covered yet? So I think one fascinating topic that is likely to come back into the news in the near future, is that related to Chinese hacking? Okay. Uh, you know, we just sent a tremendous number of athletes and media folks to China to cover the Olympics. And the reality is that there is zero question that some of the devices that people have brought to China may have been compromised. And governments are uh, telling people to bring like burner phones with them. Right. So that, that's exactly the advice that uh, I gave as well to those who had asked me. Any device that hooks up to anything there should not connect to anything once you leave. Uh, and it's not just the devices. Don't access your account. So if you're going and you're a media person going to China for the Olympics, my advice is don't access your real email from there. Have a separate email account for while you're there. Anything you access from there is at risk. So essentially you're creating your own, you know, while I'm in China phone, while I'm in China communication systems and you just don't use them here. But the reality is not everybody followed that advice. And so I suspect we will see some problems when media and athletes come back. I don't know if we will discover the problems immediately, but there is little doubt that the Chinese government is gonna use this opportunity uh, to perform what it's been doing at every opportunity it has, which is to cyber spy on you know Americans and American athletes, American businesses, uh, any anybody that it can spy on, uh, with the hope of obtaining information that may be valuable now or in the future. As I look at your credentials, Joseph, I see you also dabble in the AI arena, 
and uh, are tuned into what's happening with artificial intelligence. Uh, we are here at the Republic of Bad Crop Cryptopia, we are short of regular intelligence, let alone artificial, but uh, keeping your eye on what's happening here in the arena of robotics and the metaverse. Is this stuff, are we just going to get dehumanized by all this? Or do you feel like we're going to be able to maintain and rise above what the advances in technology could do to us? So I think that the topics that you just mentioned, metaverse, AI, robotics, are all very, very different uh, in that regard. I think robotics, humans benefit from pretty much in every possible case, whether it's robotics to help ourselves if we're injured or robotics to perform tasks. Uh, machines have much more strength than we do. They don't break as often. They don't get injured. They don't have to sleep at night. Uh, so, you know, the physical uh, capabilities that we can build with technology seem to be uh, quite beneficial. And in fact, that's essentially what the Industrial Revolution was. I believe personally that AI is going to have a bigger transformative effect on humans than the Industrial Revolution, because when we replaced human strength and animal strength with machine strength, of course, you know, there's a tremendous jump. But when it comes to forces in the universe, animal strength and human strength aren't that impressive. We're replacing, you know, relatively weak strength with slightly stronger strength. When it comes to intelligence, however, uh, we are the most intelligent species that we know of anywhere near us. And if we replace ourselves with something that's orders of magnitude, uh, strong, uh, you know, smarter and faster at calculating things and learning, we're essentially creating something that will be the smartest thing out there. Uh, so whereas our machines aren't the strongest and most productive things out there, uh, you know, not even close when you look at the forces of nature, AI will be. So I, I think we're going to see tremendous uh, transformative effects over time. Uh, that's one, one area. When it comes to the metaverse, however, I'm a lot less optimistic. I think one of the things that we learned during the pandemic is people want to connect with people, right? They want human interaction. It's bad enough when people had to Zoom and see people on a screen. It's not the same as being in person. But to abstract it even further and to have avatars interacting seems to be the opposite of the direction that humans actually want at their core. I'm not saying a metaverse won't happen. I'm saying, but at our core, we want more human interaction, not less. So I don't know how that will go. I mean, think about it. You know, going to a virtual restaurant with an avatar is not going to satisfy the human urge to eat good food. Uh, dating, two, two avatars dating is not the same thing as dating in the real world. It's, it's just not. And you can't have avatar kids and raise them and then have that translate over to the real world that all of a sudden there's a kid in the house. So, the, you know, I think there's certain fundamental needs that humans have that have to be satisfied in the real world. And I'm not sure that that is being appreciated enough by those who keep pushing towards the metaverse. Like you see restaurants buying properties in the metaverse. That's very nice. And I understand the purpose of it. But when you want to eat, you're going to want to eat real food, not metaverse food. Metaverse food. Virtual chicken nuggets. Meta, meta munchies. Right. I want some meta munchies. We're laughing, sustenance. but it's going to exist. This is going to exist. 
Well, it kind of already does in a lot of games, right? There are foods and right. games and you eat. I mean, I've played World of Warcraft and, you know, to regain your health, you eat whatever the little dish is that's in your inventory and it doesn't quite satiate, but uh, you can get drunk too. Like if you drink too much alcohol, your vision gets blurry and your character starts stumbling from that perspective. Uh, only good news is the hangovers aren't there and it only takes a few minutes for it to completely wear off. <laughs> But those are games. Now we're talking about trying to make it our lives into that metaverse. And I'm not so sure that many people really want to do that. Mm -hmm. I think there's actually pressure in the other direction, um, as opposed to AI, where it doesn't matter if people want it. If machines start getting smarter and smarter, they're going to be smarter and smarter. And the only thing you can do is say, hey, I'm not going to use that machine. Well, if the other guy uses that machine and you don't, you're going to not succeed in whatever you're trying to do. So that's coming. All righty. Joseph Steinberg, uh, lots of information for all y'all here in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia to noodle on. You can check out his website at josephsteinberg.com, the book Cybersecurity for Dummies. And uh, we'll also have uh, links to his LinkedIn in the, uh, the show notes for you to check out. And Joe, we appreciate you coming on today. Thank you very much. So there you go, folks. Lock down your stuff. The moral of the story is don't be a dummy. Use good cybersecurity practices. That is true. Use safe text and use safe crypto. You want to you want to wrap it uh, as well as you can to save Put, to help yourself so you don't get diseases. Crypto get infections had a vision of somebody connecting their ledger and slipping a condom over it when they're connecting it <laughs> yeah <laughs> practice kind of, safe wallet yeah practice safe cryptos for there's sure there's a reason they call it hard storage oh by <laughs> so we back to back with some good interviews right here back to I back know. we got we we Wait. might have to go from being bad to the mm, not so horrible crypto podcast <laughs> almost mediocre it's good almost listenable would appreciate your reviews <laughs> out there but, uh, if you guys are enjoying what you're hearing and and enjoyed the sound of phlegm traveling through travis's throat that was delightful you my covid through your ear holes folks that was that was delightful COVID uh, so my my name i promised that uh i would share something completely uninteresting to the rest well, of the world and that on. is uh my name <laughs> I think it was my grandfather when he came through Ellis from uh, from old country, came from across seas. Um, right, then, like, was it Eastern European? Well, so there's a mix of, you know, where they came from, but uh, they were in England. But before then, I believe Russia and Poland is where they're from. It's kind of interesting because I just did a DNA with a privacy DNA service. I'm waiting for my results to come back to see what's in the woodpile. Nebula.org is the uh, the service that I use, but it was spelled. Before you get in the next part about that, because I've actually just done one recently as well. Okay. My girl is um, Russian and she used a genetic test and it's in Russian. And my name on the test was uh, Vladimir Tutin. <laughs> <laughs> Have not gotten the result back yet. We'll see. Okay, okay Mr. Tutin. <laughs> Tutin Putin, that's who he is. So um, it was spelled K O M M when my grandfather was in the military. Uh, mm. But, you know, on Ellis, 
they couldn't spell these names. So it could have been Kamachov, Kaminsky, Kamalopolov, who knows what it was. But they just, you know, they oh, looked at the name, said, that's too long. I can't pronounce it. Your name's Kam. Wow. So, so who so knows? Some random, some rando working at some, you know, customer service. I was like, sorry, I'm not spelling your fucking name. It's too long. Or you yeah. just calm now. Yeah. All right. Pretty, pretty much. Was, Somebody's was, had a bad day. It's like, nope, that is not it. You are this. That was pretty much the deal. So everybody's got a story. Who knows where, you know, one day they'll tell stories about us. And they said, you know, back when people used to have phones, they would listen to shows on their phones and they were called podcasts. This uh, this will be an ancient relic that they'll turn up one day with a with a bored ape. <laughs> Go. Once upon a time, this was considered art, invaluable to people. Nice. Yep. That's true. So true. Interesting times. And um, you know what? It's always getting it's always getting stranger by the episode. So thanks you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We try to bring a little levity, a little humor along with uh when we cover the important topics. A lot of people in the space is so serious, everything's so serious, it's so serious. We're not so serious, but um we are glad that you are a part of our community. Indeed, and using pirate monkeyness, pirate.monkeyness.com, the translator is catchy on the next episode. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. So it really Walk the plank. Walk the plank. Walk it. Yo ho.